Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Why do we have insights when our mind is quiet? How do insights play a role in our ability to learn, and when do they impact the trajectory of our lives? Welcome to Insight Out, where we explore these questions and dissect how insights influence who we are and ultimately who we become. I interview New York Times bestselling authors and some of the most influential minds of our time to find out what insights have helped to make them who they are. When I realized that the world worked in many different ways, I'm going to choose to create a life that is specifically designed for me. I see infinite capacity to think and create. That's the magic that we all have. You can tap into that any point in your life. You just have to decide to do it. And as a leader, you have to be a transition figure. As Dr. Covey said, be a light, not a judge. Be a model, not a critic. If you're like me, constantly working to design a life that will allow you to reach your fullest potential so that you can leave your mark on this planet, then you're in the right place. I'm glad to have you on this journey and hope you enjoy this episode of Inside Out. And we are live. Welcome back to Insight Live with Brendan Kay. I'm Billy, and we are excited to have you. Go ahead and put in the chat where you're listening or watching from and what time it is. You see, it's 5.35 here in Los Angeles. What about you, Brendan? 8.35 p.m., Billy. Great to be here. It's always a pleasure. So let's talk about trends. You're somebody that I always love learning your thought process on where things are evolving would love to know what trends you see happening in social media specifically, because right now we're in this era of creation where people are creating content as a means of one, to get more exposure, to get more recognition, to build their brand, to help promote their company, to raise awareness, any number of things that creating can do. And then social media is the vehicle to allow those creative endeavors to be visible. And so the question I have is, do you see this trend continuing to expand? Do you see it changing? What's going to happen over the next five to 10 years as we look at the landscape of social media? Let's start by explaining what's consistent. And the, what's consistent, Billy, is the personal brand. It doesn't really matter what social platform you are on. Who you are, the equity of who you are, is always going to percolate across each platform. So whether it's a Snapchat or a wine house or a TV house or anything else that happens, your personal brand will always jump from platform to platform. So now the question is, where should you spend your time in any moment of time to optimize your personal brand? And that's always going to change. So in any moment of time, that will always change except for one thing, which is who you are, how you communicate, and how you use those communication skills across multiple platforms. 
So as of today, what does that look like? Well, it looks like two key things that I see as opportunities. One is LinkedIn Live, like what we're doing right here. Why? Because the number of content creators is really low and the organic reach of LinkedIn is very high currently. And that's also true with TikTok. TikTok has a lot of organic reach right now where you can go from zero to multiple tens of thousands of followers very quickly. So it's all about how do you use the time that we have and invest it in the right platforms as things are changing so that those changes, you keep them in mind as things are moving along so that your personal brand stays consistent. That's why you want at least a minimum presence across all of them. In terms of trends, one interesting thing I could add as well is how do we predict trends? An easy way to predict trends is to always look at the companies and the people that are running the social platforms. I'll give you a super easy example to demonstrate this. We know that Facebook owns both itself and Instagram. And we've also noticed that the organic reach of Facebook has gone down considerably over the last couple of years. Why is that? Well, as the platform matures, the executive team at Facebook, who are essentially people running these organizations and these social media platforms, they make a decision to go, you know what? We want to maximize for ads. So we're not really going to pay creators and we're going to charge people a lot of money so that they can advertise on Facebook. So that tells us, based on the incentive structure that Facebook has set up, that we're going to see the same thing on Instagram because Facebook owns Instagram and the same management team is running both platforms. So even if a lot of people might be saying, oh, Instagram, you got to post every day. Well, in two years, we already know, even if they won't tell us, that the organic reach is going to go down. Let's take an opposite example. Take YouTube that Google runs, right? Completely different company, different social media. The people who have been on YouTube for the past 10 years and have created really good content still have very high organic reach on YouTube. Why is that? The reason is because of the management team running Google, running YouTube specifically, and their decision to always prioritize the creator. And that's why creators get 55% of the ad revenue that Google sells to companies. So because of that incentive structure, Google is always incentivized to push up your videos, whether you buy ads or not. So it's always important to think about not just the platform itself, but also the people running those platforms and how those incentive structures are set up across each different company and platform. So if we're going to look at the people who run these companies and understand that part of the equation, what specifically should we be looking at and what should we be thinking about? Because you mentioned two examples, Facebook, Google, how they both have decided to approach it in two different ways. What are the other things that we should be really paying attention to from a management standpoint? Right. So another thing that comes up to mind, especially concerning the management team, is how mature is the platform? So I'll give you an example. Why does Instagram Reels have so much organic reach currently? That's not by chance. It's because the management team at Facebook goes, well, we want creators to pick Instagram Reels over TikTok. But if Instagram Reels bought TikTok, that probably wouldn't be the case anymore. Probably switch it over to ads. So it's also important to understand the cycles in the innings of that traction. We've seen over the last couple of years that Instagram has really matured as a platform. The user growth is nowhere near what it was in the early days. So now Facebook is changing that from a growth machine to a money-making one. 
So it's always important to understand what are the new up-and-coming platforms that are taking storm and how can we, kind of like how, how Gary V says social media is real estate, how can we jump on the right platforms at the right time, build up enough traction, and then move those audiences in a permanent way where we always have access to them? Yeah, a little bit ago, you said something really interesting, which is that you should have a presence on some kind of presence on all the platforms. And I want to explore that in a minute. But what I want to talk about first is you mentioned Gary V. He's a great example. Who else should we be paying attention to that is a good person to spot trends, to understand where things are going? They don't necessarily need to be a household name like Gary V. It could be somebody in Silicon Valley. It could be somebody that's on Twitter that is just really in tune with the pulse of where things are headed. Because one of the things I think is that we all could be so much better informed if we knew the right people to pay attention to that can spot these trends from a mile away because they have so much experience doing so. That's a great question. So let's look at different levels here. So level one is the easiest one anyone can implement who's listening, which is just follow whatever Gary Vaynerchuk is doing. He's usually pretty early to those trends. He was calling out TikTok long before a lot of content creators got on it. That's level one. If you want to push this a bit further, like I like to as an example, is watch what the venture capitalists are investing in companies. So I'll give you an example. A venture capitalist is someone who puts money into technology companies. So think about companies like Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp. These are companies that were always funded by these organizations called venture capitalists. So firms like Sequoia Capital, Andreessen Horowitz, First Round Capital, and the list goes on. So what you want to pay attention to is what are the companies that are doing really well and that are gaining a lot of traction? And by focusing on those companies and seeing who's getting the big checks, you can see whether or not something is working. So a lot of these venture capital firms are just pouring a boatload of money into it. So the second one is to really look at where's the money flowing and what types of firms and what types of social media apps are they investing in. That would probably be level two. And then level three is to get acquainted with the early seed startups. This is something I don't recommend most people do, where essentially what you do is every year is an example why Combinator is one of the biggest incubators in the world, where a lot of the best startups, Airbnb, Dropbox, start there. DoorDash is another great example of this, is to watch what are the companies getting out of YC and seeing if any of those are social media apps. But I think for most of the audience, the easiest thing to do is really just to follow what Gary Vee is saying. <laughs> Isn't that funny? And you bring up some great, great pieces of advice there. I think it's easy to not be in tune with what's going on in Silicon Valley or other places right now, because let's face it, the tech revolution has spread beyond the walls of that geographic region. And you've highlighted some really interesting ways which we could spot trends by listening and observing what other companies are doing. What do you think Gary V is paying attention to? Like, is there someone or someones who he is getting intel from that you know of? In Gary's case, obviously at the point that Gary's in in this career, he's always up to date on everything because there's a bunch of people in his network who always tell him what's hot. And frankly, he has so much leverage now that the social media companies themselves approach Gary before the social media app even takes off. Mm. So Gary V probably knew what TikTok was long before anyone else did. Mm -hmm. That's another piece. But 
Another component that not many people think about is Gary Vee is dangerously good at consumer behavior. He's understanding what other people are doing. And he says this very publicly. The reason he got on Snapchat is he noticed a lot of kids were on Snapchat. And generally speaking, with most social media apps, they start young and they mature old. So Facebook started with college students mm. and then over time went to 40, 50, 60 year olds. Snapchat started with young 50 and 16 year olds, matured up. TikTok, same thing. The only exception that I can think of is probably LinkedIn. But every other social media app starts, Instagram starts young, matures up. Why is that? Good question. So based on what Gary's point of view, and this is also my own thought process here, it's young people are just more accustomed to trying new things. And they don't want to be where all the old people. Mm-hmm. If their dad's on Facebook, they don't want to be on Facebook. <laughs> so true. <laughs> Whereas in 2006, well, being on Facebook was cool because dad wasn't on Facebook. He was using email. Ew. So gross. But yeah, so, so this trend <laughs> changes. So now that dad is on Facebook, they don't want to be on Facebook anymore. They want to be somewhere where their parents aren't. Yeah. And that's always going to continue in the same way there'll be another TikTok after TikTok. So watch where the kids go then. Watch where the kids, I mean, like seriously, that's like, that's a huge telltale sign right there. If a lot of times they're starting with a younger audience and then the audience either matures or somehow the younger audience stops going because older folks catch on and then they don't want to be there any longer. They want to go to the next place where they can feel more comfortable, maybe more safe and distance themselves from the older generations. That's a really interesting point. Carry on with your thought, man. Yeah. Like, you know, last month, my mom created a Facebook account. It was like the oddest thing. <laughs> it was like, oh yeah, Britta, just send me a message on Messenger. I was like, whoa, like, what's going on? So yeah, absolutely. And because of that, that cycle has always been the same, mm-hmm. right? Now, a lot of older people use Instagram. So it's not the cool place to be anywhere. No offense to the older people in the crowd, but that's always a good way to spot trends. So currently, if we look at the average age on TikTok, it's very low. I don't know the exact number, but it's definitely under 20 years old, like 20, 22-ish. And we know, based on previous history, right? History doesn't repeat itself, but it sure does rhyme. I don't know who quoted that, but it's correct. Say say that one more time. History doesn't repeat itself, but it sure rhymes. Mm, Gotcha. Right? So it rhymes. So this is the same thing, right? We're going to see TikTok mature as well. And then the next... Who knows? Two, three years, there's going to be another one. But what does this mean as content creators? What this means is a couple of things. One is to get into the dirt as soon as possible. Because once you start working that muscle of content creation, you're going to position yourself better to take advantage of the next thing. So I'll give you an example with me. I was very late to YouTube. Not really because it was my fault or anything. I mean, I was fairly young when I started making YouTube videos. But in my niche... But the thing is, is YouTube has been around for 15, 20 years. So it's really hard to grow. Imagine if I started YouTube in the year like uh, 2007, right? Things would have been different. But because I got used to creating content on YouTube, when I got to LinkedIn or when I got to Instagram, it was a lot easier for me to just use the skills Mm -hmm. across creating content in one social media app and not be so fearful creating content. Whereas somebody who's new to content creation wouldn't be able to take full force advantage of any new trend, any new social media app because of the reluctance to create content in the first place. So my advice to everyone is to really start working that muscle, even if it's on a platform that where there's no more organic reach, just to get you practicing. Because I'll tell you something, Billy, the next time there's another big social media app that's traction, 
I know me and you're going to jump on it fearlessly. Yeah. Because of the track record. Everyone else can do that too. I could not agree with you more. I mean, I was so active last year on LinkedIn, hosted over 360 times. And as a result, my confidence, my ability to create content, pretty much everything went much higher and more familiar with the rhythm. And it's like building a muscle. It's like anything that you do over and over again, you get stronger. And especially if you're consistent. So want to talk a little bit about the nuance between being active on social media versus owning your platform. For example, podcasting or even YouTube for that matter. And I want to talk a little bit about the nuance between how much time we should be spending on social media platforms versus how much time we should be spending on something that we own, that we know no matter what, it can't be taken from us. Even YouTube theoretically could be taken. A podcast arguably couldn't, but distribution is very different than YouTube, arguably, and you'd probably win a lot better on YouTube than it is through a podcast. So curious about that nuance between social media where you're at the mercy of whatever that platform does versus something that you actually own. Right. So there's two categories here, right? The social media apps like Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, et cetera, where discovery is built in. Searchability is built in. So the advantage of being on social, even if you don't control the medium, because the company can cancel you up at any point that they want, is you get reach. You can scale up your phone really quickly and reach a lot of lives. But the disadvantage is you don't have control. The opposite is true with blogs and podcasts where own the audience, but you don't have searchability. Good analogy I like to you is it's like owning a farm. You're on social media. You're on somebody else's farm. You can crop all you want. You can yield. You can get plants, but they can kick you off that farm at any point that they want. Whereas when you're talking about blogs or podcasts, it's your farm. You own the land, but you need to go there and crop it all yourself. You need to bring in other people. You need to hire the staff. You need to do everything to get it running. Whereas in the other farm that you're renting from somebody else, you can bring in their people, their staff, their audiences to help you build it up. What a great analogy, by the way. I love that. Thank you. Thank you. So that's the idea. So what does that tell us? It tells us well, a couple of things. One, we need to be very clear on what our goal is. What is our goal as content creators? Especially on a platform LinkedIn, let's bring that conversation and be more specific here. And what that means for most of us is to be thought leaders. And thought leaders doesn't necessarily mean be the next Gary Vee, but it means being able to communicate a message and not really prank videos or something random with the goal of generating revenue for our businesses or to achieve some sort of goal that's related to education. Right? None of us in the crowd are really focused on being a standout comedian, especially in the LinkedIn crowd. So given that definition, it tells us a couple of things. One, we need to be very specific about which platform we want to be on long-term. And two, we need to be active on most social media apps to bring up the apps that will bring forward our thought leadership in what we want. So an example of this is I've always believed that there's three platforms at the end of the day that allows you to maintain your status as a thought leader over a long period of time. And by long period, I mean five to 10 years, 15 that's, that's how I always think about personal bread. So one is blogs, right? Seth Godin is an excellent example of this. He wrote a blog every day for 25 years, and now he's got one of the biggest blogs. Number two is podcasts, right? Lewis House is a great example of this. 
podcast, 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 seven years, got a big podcast. And he owns the audience. And number three, even if you don't necessarily own the audience, YouTube channels are also great examples of this. Because even if you don't own the medium, it's a pretty good farm to rent on. Mm-hmm. Because searchability is built on one of my videos on YouTube is still getting viewed all the time because YouTube in many ways is working for me on that video because the watch time is really hard. So for any thought leader who's listening, who wants to build a presence, you need to start thinking of dominating one of these three things, especially for people who are mostly focused on LinkedIn. There's nothing wrong with LinkedIn. I'm super aggressive on it. But the challenge now is how long will LinkedIn's organic reach last? Because there's not really any competition for LinkedIn besides maybe Twitter. But even then, the format's not really the same. So it's important to plan for the worst case scenario. And one mistake I'm seeing with a lot of LinkedIn content creators is it's a lot easier to create content on LinkedIn than it is on other platforms like YouTube. So if the organic reach on LinkedIn goes down, you need to have a contingency plan, whether it's moving them to an email list where you can't really build a meaningful relationship with them. It's mostly just emails. But the idea stays the same. Build either a blog, a podcast, a YouTube channel, whatever you're comfortable with, and make sure that everything that you're doing on social is growing one of these three mediums. Mm, Yeah, so with you on the point you've made about those three, and even YouTube, right? There is that sense of ownership because of the way in which they've structured the relationship between them and you as the creator. Uh, So we have some amazing minds in the audience here. We got Jamal in the house. We got Adam. We got Trevor. We got Enrique and Rena. DVR, my friend from Tesla. What's up, brother? Thank you all for being here. Any questions, insights, definitely encourage you to include it in the comments. Jamal, we're talking about social media, the future of social media. We talked a little bit about the one and only Gary V, who Adam just interviewed not too long ago. And we, uh, we talked a little bit about why He's able to spot trends. Adam, why do you think, why, if you're still listening, why do you think Gary is so insanely good at spotting trends? What is his number one source, reason, or method that he uses to spot trends? Is it his own innate ability that maybe he's developed that ability? Are there people around him that give him that intel? Does are his instincts just on point? Would love to know. Or if anybody has an insight there, would love to hear it. So. Going back to kind of the idea of like how you spend your time, time allocation, how should it be divided up? Because if you have something you own, like a podcast, and you have what we'll call support platforms, Twitter, Instagram, you name it, right? Clubhouse that can feed, as you described it, you can feed your, your primary platform. How should we decide how to break that up time-wise? And does it change as you evolve as a creator? What are your thoughts there as people start to think about defining their strategy? Absolutely. So a couple of things. One, let's answer the question you asked, which is very interesting as well. What makes Gary Vee different? How does he spot trends? The quick answer to that question, Billy, is he's a practitioner, right? He's living in the platforms himself. He's answering tweets. He's on Instagram answering DMs. He's in the game. He's tasting. He's figuring out what's actually happening in social media. He's seeing what other people are doing. But more importantly, he's the only 45-year-old doing that. You don't see any other 45-year-old CMOs, CMOs are chief marketing officers, who are making TikTok videos, right? They don't care. They're kind of like, I don't want to be on TikTok. I'm 45. Whereas Gary doesn't care. 
he's just going to go on, even if there's seven year olds on the platform, he just wants to taste it. He wants to figure it out. He wants to figure out the social media app. So his willingness to always try the next thing on top of being a practitioner is what makes him fairly unique in the same way that as most people age, they generally tend to get more conservative with age. Gary Vee's the opposite of that. He tends to get more liberal with age, which is very weird. Whereas he gets more older, he's more open, more open to trying new things. And I think that combination of being willing to be on a platform where the medium age is half of his age mm. and being a hardcore practitioner of that app is what makes him successful. To the point about time, though, how do you split up your time? I would say at the end of the day, it really depends on what your goal is. So the first I would figure out is what are you comfortable created? What type of creator are you? I'll give an example with me. I'm not someone who's going to write a blog. I don't really like blogs. I'll burn out really quickly. It's not really for me. For podcasting, I've always been a fan of podcasts, more specifically being interviewed on one, but creating my own podcast, developing the skill set to interview other people or having my own show is just really hard to grow because their searchability just isn't there. But number three, with the YouTube, I was really good on video. I had the ability to do public speaking videos and nobody else was doing it on YouTube. So it made sense for me to make YouTube the dominant platform. And then as YouTube grows... I then create other mediums around the YouTube channel, like a podcast that I might start in a year or two or something like that. So what people need to figure out is what are they comfortable doing? Because some people who are listening might just prefer doing text. And there's nothing wrong with text. There's a lot of successful blogs out there it's still today. You know, Tim Urban's a great example of that from Wait But Why. Seth Godin's a great example of that. So blogs are still very much alive. You just need to find the right audience for it. So number one is figure out what you're comfortable with. Number two is figure out which platform you know you're going to win at. John Aspirin talks a lot about that in Content DNA, where he says, focus on one platform that you know you can win at and make sure you're getting that one right. Make sure you're getting that one correct. And he dominates on LinkedIn. He does really well on LinkedIn. Even if he's not as well followed on the other apps, he's getting what he wants from LinkedIn. So figure out what your dominant platform is. And then number three, go all in on that one platform. Be sure you understand it really well. Make sure it's perfected. And perfected means different things for different people. But the key is really just building a process around it until you're comfortable that you're going to be consistent and do really well. And then branch out to other social media apps. So the first thing you said really, really resonates. And Liam just says that he loves text, doing text posts. And as do I, by the way, it's funny too, because a lot of the text posts that I made, I'm now converting into YouTube videos. And I got to be honest, I'm thinking to myself, okay, I'm going to make a YouTube video. It might be four or five minutes, six minutes, depending upon how long the post was, but somebody could have read my post in like a minute. So from an efficiency standpoint for the consumer of the content, it's actually way easier to read. It's like when somebody sends me a video message I'm like, oh, great. Now I got to watch this video message. I feel this obligation. Yet, I know some people do it very successfully. Alex B. Sheridan, amongst many others who successfully use, and you do it, you send out audio voice notes, which again, I see a, a voice note. I'm like, oh, now I have to listen to this voice note instead of just reading it. But the point, those, that's just more of a side tangent, but the point that you've made is what do you want to do or what will you do over and over and over again consistently? Because I'm all about making it as easy as possible. 
So I've shot in the last four weeks, 80 YouTube videos, 80. And the reason I was able to shoot 80 is because I have a setup that makes it super, super simple. One, I have all the content already because I'm repurposing my LinkedIn content. So that makes it easy. Two, I have a teleprompter set up and a camera that's right here. So I could record five videos back to back to back. So what I've done is I've made it super streamlined to batch process. So to your point, I think making it as easy as possible, but also what will you do over and over again? What will you be excited to do? So if you love text, for example, or maybe you love creating videos, going back to Alex, Alex is world-class at creating videos. It is what he is known for and he's great at it. And so I also remember Mark Metry talking about this early on in my LinkedIn journey. He was talking about, you don't need to do it all. It's good to have a mix, but figure out what you like doing the most because that's what you're going to do the most. And so whatever it is that you can do consistently is what you should do consistently. It seems very basic and obvious, but despite it being obvious, I think all too often we try to do too much and or we try to do what other people are doing exactly as they're doing it instead of finding our own voice and getting really good at rinse and repeat on that. So Brendan, as we, we're going to probably go for about five, 10 more minutes. I say that and then who knows, we'll be here in an hour. Uh, We'd love to know as we think about the, the power of social media, what do you think the biggest changes will be over the upcoming, let's call it two or three years? Because we talked about how to spot trends. We talked about some of the best people at spotting trends. We talked about what we just shared, which is how we allocate our time. And now let's talk about if we had a crystal ball, what could be around the corner so that all of us here having this conversation through comments and us talking What, in your opinion, will be some of the biggest pivotal changes happening in social media? I'll tell you the biggest one. The biggest one is most of us aren't connected to the internet. I don't think most people understand that yet. As the economic well-being of human beings starts to increase over the next five to 10 years, and with advances that we're seeing in technology, everyone's going to be connected to the internet, which is the case right now. So if you think we're already saturated in social media, we're just getting started. This party's just getting started. So whatever you're following is right now, if you stay consistent for the next 10 years, I believe personally that the ROI of that following is actually going to be much bigger on the long tail than it is currently. Mm. And that's why I always say people like Gary Vee are actually extremely underrated. That guy only has like 3 million subscribers on his YouTube channel. I know for sure he's going to hit 10 before he's done. For sure. Like there's no doubt about it. Because of the long tail, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to start plugging into the internet. That's one. But number two, the number of content creators who are willing to go for 10 years is also very small. It's a very small number. Mm. Sure, a lot of people are excited to start. There's very few people that where you'll see them still creating content 10 years later. Not 10 months later, 10 years later. So we'll see those small number of content creators who stay for the long tail and are still managing to stay relevant for 10 years start pulling in all of those new people and grow their followings even more and creating an even larger competitive mode. The third piece that I'm seeing as well is that personal brands are being more and more important than corporate brands. So if you think social media and personal branding is so important today, imagine where it's going to be in 10 years as more people have more eyeballs on those people. Mm. So those people start to become more celebrities. A good example, Gary Vee says, 
is one of his predictions is that people like King Batch, who's really big on social, is going to be one of the biggest movie stars in Hollywood in 10, 15 years because these influencers drive a lot of ticket sales in theaters because they have a super loyal fan base across the world. Watch their TikTok videos, watch their YouTube videos. So that's probably the three biggest things I'm the most excited about. And then the bonus I would add is the reaction speed. I think the content creators who are reacting quickly to trends capitalize on that really quickly and benefit from it. So I've missed every single trend pretty much my whole life. I missed YouTube. I missed LinkedIn, even if I still got more left on LinkedIn, but I missed the early days, right? I missed pretty much everything. So I think the key is also the bonus here is be super proactive. Even if you're not sure it's going to work, keep that open mind, especially as you master all the other platforms, you start to see the benefit of being a personal brand, start jumping on those trends a lot faster, sooner rather than later, even if it doesn't work, because you can still transition those skills onto new, better, and brighter social media platforms. Yeah, and we talked earlier about some of the ways to spot trends, and you gave some very practical advice. Let's talk now about the other three points, because that was the bonus. The bonus was, hey, whoever reacts fast and is able to spot the trends they're going to put themselves in position to win. But the first point you made was about emerging markets and about people who don't currently have access to the internet. So let's start with that. I want to get granular and specific. How can we, the collective we, capitalize, take advantage of the fact that you're so right. There are millions and millions of people who are not on the internet right now, and they're going to get on the internet at some point. And that is a huge opportunity for anybody that is smart enough and creative enough to tap into that market. So what are some very specific, practical ways for people to actually find that audience before others do? I think for me, one of the key pieces to this is collaborating with those content creators. That's the easiest way to do this. So the way I think about this is let's take a country. I'm just going to spitball a country. Let's say, I don't know, Malaysia. All of those people have access to the internet. Let's just use Malaysia as a placeholder. There are influencers in Malaysia that people in Malaysia are very loyal to. If you know those people, they introduce you to their following. That is the easiest way to gain access to their audience. The other way is, of course, organic reach, and you kind of just spitball them. But I would say the big, the easiest way is really building relationships with the locals and having them introduce you to their people. So what does that mean? Especially if you're an educational content creator, which is my area of expertise, solve a problem for them. Like one thing I got going for me with public speaking is a lot of people's first language is not English, but they'll want to create content in English. So they'll want to watch videos on public speaking communication, especially on the emerging country side, because they want to learn that specific skill. So this is where unique personal branding starts to come into play. That unique expertise that you have, that you can solve for somebody. Generally speaking, if you're solving it for the Americas and Europe, you're going to be able to solve that for other emerging countries and markets. So I think getting very specific about what those things are will really help you position your brand so that people pick you every single time. Okay. So the second point you made was about the fact, the reality that most people are not going to look at this with long-term vision. They won't be sustainable as a content creator. They won't sustainably create content for 10, 20, 30 years. And so to me, it's clear that anyone who has long-term thinking and can be a sustainable content creator is poised to win. What advice do you have 
And then we'll get into the personal brand piece to close out. What advice do you have for anyone that maybe they have shiny object syndrome where they look for the shiny object, they get distracted by that, guilty, and they go this direction, that direction. They can't stick to one thing for a very, very long time. What advice do you have? Study the winners. Study the people that win. You know, for me at the end of the day, really, I take advice from people who are beating me. That's the best way to do that. I'll give you the best example of my YouTube channel. You wouldn't believe the number of people who have told me, and it's well over 100 now, hey, Brady, you should post two to three times a week on YouTube. Hey, Brady, you should post more on YouTube. Why do you only post once a week? You should post like seven times a week or five times a week. And those people, in my opinion, are wrong. And the reason they're wrong is because you're better off posting once a week for 10 years than posting twice a week for a couple of years and then burning out as a content creator because you run out of ideas. Whereas me, especially on an app like YouTube that favors that, especially if every week is really good, you'll win the long tail. Because most people at year eight, everyone's gone. No one's able to have that consistent flow. So my advice is really study the winners, understand what the winners do, and copy those people. But also ask yourself, are you willing to play for 10 years? And it's okay if you aren't. But I would say being honest about that is really important as well and how important your vision is. So a good example of Master Talk is, look, I don't need the best content. I'm not going to have the best effects. I'm not going to have the best movie production. But if I stay consistent for 10, 15 years, especially given my age, well, in 10, 15 years, I'll be between the ages of 35 and 40. Right? So I know this will work as long, even if I'm not getting a million views, because I'm still consistently solving that problem. I'm consistently showing up. But the conversation is different with LinkedIn. Because on LinkedIn, it's very easy to post daily. So I have a daily content strategy on LinkedIn because all I got to do is create two posts every day and post one. So it's very easy to gain a lead versus with YouTube, it's much harder. What I really encourage people to think about is studying the winners, seeing what they've done that's made them successful and only listening to those people. And number three, finding a consistent content strategy that works for you over decades not days. Mm. And for me, it was once a week on YouTube. It was once a day on LinkedIn. And for you, it's going to be different. So finding that balance is really what's going to make you successful. Yeah. So with you, man, and I do agree that every platform is a bit different. And I'd say the sustainability piece and the burnout piece more specifically is real. You have to be prepared to face this burnout monster. And it most frequently rears its ugly head when you try to do more than you need to do. So you've highlighted that some people have advised you to post two times a week, three times a week, et cetera. And while you could do that for a short amount of time, the reality is you're now, it's the same thing with a podcast. Can I post more than once a week? Yes, I can. But at the same time, will I burn out quicker? Yes, I will. And you got to figure out what you could do. If you can sustainably do two, three, whatever that number is, everybody's situation is different. Just be sure that you're going to do it consistently and have the systems in place to allow you to do it. I've built systems for YouTube now that I'm going to have like a year's worth of video in a matter of a couple months. And if you have the right system in place to do that, great. Because as we've talked about in previous lives, Gary Vee says, start with quantity. Quality will come after that. They're both important. All right, so let's close this baby down. The last thing I want to talk about is the third point you made, 
which is about personal brand. <clears throat> so personal brand is a buzzword, buzzwords right now. Everybody's talking about it. You say it's going to be more important than corporate brand. In order to get in front of that bus, and it, who knows, the bus already left the station, what can we be doing proactively to establish our domain expertise, our authority, plant that flag of authority for our own personal brand? What are a few key ingredients to do it right? Here's a good high-level principle for us to understand this. People don't trust organizations and institutions anymore. They trust individual people. So you think of every information source that you pull knowledge from, I would pretty much guarantee for 90% of you listening, you're pulling it from individual people on a podcast. You're pulling it from individual thought leaders that you're reading on a blog in newspapers. And that wasn't the case 30 years ago. We would trust news outlets and NBC, uh, Fox News or something. And we would watch that and say that is the truth. But now because of a lot of the misinformation we've been seeing over the past couple of years, our trust has quickly transitioned from institutions and organizations to the individual person and trusting only that person or a small group of people around those. So what does that tell us? It tells us the importance of personal brands, but it also gives us an indicator of how to build one. So how you build one, and there's no secret formula here, is you need to be willing to have those individual conversations. LinkedIn's a great example of this. I'm a student to this platform. I don't know anyone here. So what do I do? I ask the people that know more than I do, who are way more knowledgeable than me, and I say, hey, can you introduce me to these people? I want to learn from those people too. And I start building relationships as if I was starting at zero. So I don't walk into a new platform and go, well, I know everything. Well, no, of course not. You have to keep that humility. You have to stay humble. And you have to be willing to have those thousand conversations all over again. In the same way that when I was on YouTube, the way I got my first thousand subscribers, they were all personal friends of mine. I would just message everybody. I'm like, hey, I need to get to a K. I need your help. But when I got to LinkedIn, I don't know anybody. So same thing. You'd have those same thousand conversations again as if I did nothing before. And it's that humility that gets you across the pond. And at the end of the day, people spread people. If you don't build relationships with great people, they're not going to spread your message in the same way. In many ways, we're spreading each other's message by doing a live together. Mm. We need to start collaborating with other content creators and have that humility to team up with them and be willing to have those thousand conversations. The power of connection. We wouldn't be connected if you hadn't built a relationship with Sam and I hadn't built a relationship with Sam and then he made the connection. So so much power and wisdom in this session. Hopefully you found some value. If you did, let us know. Send us a DM. Let us know what you think. We are here as regularly as we can be. And we absolutely welcome feedback, thoughts, any topics you want us to explore. I love grilling Brendan, putting him on the hot seat, uncovering his nuggets of insight and finding out what he thinks the future holds. And today we talked about social media we're going to talk about all sorts of topics. We talk about thought leaders. We talk about entrepreneurship and so much other valuable information. If you do end up sending us a note, let us know when you listened, what time slot. We're trying to figure out a deal time to do this or what day of the week so we can get a regular schedule going. We're still kind of testing and figuring things out and figuring out what the right recipe is. With that, I want to say thanks again for being here. And until next time, please do make it a great one. Take care, everyone. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Inside Out. I hope you took away some valuable insights that will help you in business and in life. If you like this show, the best payment you can give is to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. You can also listen to past episodes and see a breakdown of all the best insights by going to insightoutshow.com. And for the record, there's no greater compliment than sharing this show with your friends on social media. So if there's an insight or a lesson that you liked, please share it and tag both me and today's guest. And until next time, remember, your next life-changing breakthrough moment may happen when you least expect it. Insight out.